0: This episode brought to you by Alert Communications. If any law firm is looking for call, intake, or retainer services available 24-7, 365, just call 866-827-5568.
1: Welcome to the AVA Journal Legal Rebels podcast, where we talk to men and women who are remaking the legal profession, changing the way the law is practiced, and setting standards that will guide us into the future.
0: Welcome, I'm your host, Lyle Moran. My guest today is Judge Scott Schlegel. He serves in the 24th Judicial District Court in Jefferson Parish, Louisiana. He handles both criminal and civil cases, as well as specialty court matters. Judge Schlegel has consistently been a strong proponent of courts using technology to better serve the public. During this episode, we will discuss his initial forays into delivering justice online and delve into how he and his court responded to COVID-19. Judge, thanks for joining me.
2: Thanks for having me, Lyle. Appreciate it.
0: Judge, could you start off sharing what the status was of your court's use of technology when you first got on the bench?
2: Sure. I was elected in May of 2013 to the 24th Judicial District Court in Jefferson Parish, Louisiana. It's right outside of Orleans Parish. When you fly into the airport, you're in Jefferson Parish in in New Orleans. So when I was elected in May of 2013, I started to look at the system as a whole and started to look at any and all inefficiencies that we could try and utilize technologies that exist in the private sector and simply repurpose them for the public sector. For example, e signatures. When I first took the bench, the courts could not sign your typical judgments or anything that said anything for hearings. We could do warrants electronically, but nothing that we do on an everyday basis. So we had to have legislation authorized shortly thereafter so that judges could e-sign documents and then work with the clerk of court to implement the technologies necessary to allow us to e-sign documents. So today we have civil baskets, criminal baskets, and our clerk of courts and civil minute clerks and criminal minute clerks put the orders in our basket for our signature, just like it happens in federal courts.
0: Right, And were there other um, initial actions you took to incorporate technology into your court's day-to-day operations?
2: Not immediately. as as I continued to serve and you start looking at different inefficiencies in the system, we began to implement online calendaring to enable folks in the civil, Side of things to select their own dates. So when I started, every civil minute clerk has this big red book. And I'm sure every court around the country, their minute clerks have this big red book where they handwrite dates in, they scratch it out, they add it, they provide it, the dates to folks who call in or a runner comes in to get a date. Well, I never really knew what was coming up for my civil hearings in the next couple of weeks. And it made it very difficult for myself and our, my law clerk to prepare. So we took that big red book. And let's just say I was not liked for the first month or two when I took that big red book. Uh, But as we went down the road and realized how much more efficient an online calendar was, uh, the civil minute clerk came around and uh, was was converting things into PDF and emailing to them by the time of her retirement. So it worked out very well. And I think it made our system much more efficient and more effective.
0: Great. And at what point did you implement video conferencing for lawyers?
2: So as you start building online calendars, and look, I use what's available to everybody out there. You know, we just took a, um, I use Acuity Scheduling. You can use Calendly. I'm sure there's a way to use Outlook if you create one or a Google Calendar. There's really different ways to do this, and I'm not advocating one product over the other. But once once we selected a product that fit our needs and our budget, you start to realize how many other products are integrated with these different types of software. So I know every single person on Earth has now heard of Zoom, but back then, you know, three or four or five years ago, realized that there was video conferencing integration with these online calendars. and so quickly after building the online calendar, started offering video conferencing for all of our pre-trials, because I thought, "Hey, look, why are we spending two hours plus parking?" when we could spend five or 10 minutes on a pretrial conference when it's really a, hey, how are you doing? Where are we going with the case? Where are we today? And this simple product with an integration to a video conferencing platform enabled us to do just that for very little money and very little time and effort once you realize how simple these products are to use.
0: And how was that change or that new option received by the lawyers in the court down there?
2: Well, uh, some like it, some don't. And that was back back then. Some liked it and some did not like it. And I never mandated the use of it. It was always an option for attorneys to use to help them with their practices if it was of benefit. So I, uh, I had a notice of encouragement. Typically, co- courts you know just sign orders. But this was a notice of encouragement asking everybody to use it because it makes everybody's lives much more efficient and effective. And as we started going further and further along, obviously more and more people began to adopt it and began to utilize the online calendar and began to utilize the video conferencing platform for pretrial conferences.
0: Right. Now let's fast forward to um, earlier this year and COVID-19 starting to really spread um, rapidly across the nation. You know, what did you and your court do Technology wise, when COVID really became a big issue here in the US?
2: Thankfully, we were in a position to really never really shut down completely. When COVID hit and we had to shut down the courts physically, because we had already been using online calendaring, because we had already been using video conferencing, we were able to scale that model pretty quickly and much more widespread than had we not been familiar with these products. So when the, the courthouse shut down, we were still able to handle most preliminary matters and predominantly criminal. Civil was shut down a little bit longer, but we were still able to handle their pretrial conferences and just scaled it to utilizing and still use it for motions for summary judgment, motions in limine, and even certain hearings that require witness testimony. But right when the pandemic hit and right when we shut it down, we're able to handle all preliminary examinations and criminal side. We're able to handle motions to reduce bond. We were able to handle first appearances. And so we really never shut down completely. And shortly After, within months, we were continuing to scale that model to be able to offer additional services. Uh, We also were never uh, had to shut down signing of any judgments and various orders because our clerk of court for years had been offering an e-filing system. And because we had already had the e-signature legislation passed and all of the technologies worked out, lawyers and litigants were still able to file matters that were still, we were still able to access from our homes or anywhere else any place else that we were to sign those orders and set things for hearings pretty quickly.
0: Well, when you mentioned, you know, you were able to keep moving forward on a lot of matters, I mean, what role was technology playing in allowing you to keep hearing a lot of these issues?
2: Well, our system is built around a building. Everybody comes to the building. And so because we had the video conferencing platform, that essentially became the building or the vehicle for which we were able to conduct these hearings. So our court reporters were able to still uh, attend and keep the record. Our lawyers were able to join. Our minute clerks were able to join. The judge and the, the law clerks were able to join. And so it enabled us to continue the practice of law without that physical building. So it was actually a pretty quick, again, transition because we already had the pieces in place.
0: Now, I understand one of the things you were able to implement was accepting guilty pleas um, in criminal cases remotely. Could you talk about how you were able to get that set up?
2: Absolutely. One of the problems, obviously, without having a building is the ability to bring inmates over from uh, jail and have their attorneys give them an opportunity to go over the uh, guilty plea forms with their clients and have those forms completed and go through the plea of guilty forms with the clients. So those individuals who had already worked out or negotiated plea agreements with the state, once we got everybody up and running. We reached out to a number of individuals and DocuMate created an online plea of guilty form for us. Three years earlier, we had already passed, had legislation passed that allowed us to take remote guilty pleas with the consent of all parties. And so when the COVID hit and shut down our buildings, it became all that more important. So we were able to work with Documate and place that form online on a new website that we built and launched within a week of our buildings being shut down and placed a link there so that when the attorneys met with their clients, we could put them in a separate virtual waiting room or breakout room, enable the attorneys to go over the forms with their clients. And email us the form after it was completed. We would then email it to the jail. The jail would print it and bring it to the inmate who would then sign it and go over it with the court on the record to take the remote guilty plea. So it worked out very well because we already had the pieces in place and had already thought through the workflow.
0: Yeah. Now, how far back did your you know collaboration with Document Go? Had you worked with them prior to this?
2: Never. I just started sending out emails and direct messages to all the the techies out there that I've I've developed relationships with over the years. And everybody was so helpful and willing to help immediately. I mean, this literally was a yes. Hey, yeah, I don't know you, but I'm happy to help in any way I can. So Dorna was awesome and, and willing to help. You know, Community Lawyer offered to help as well. Law Droid offered to help. So we had a lot of people out there that were interested in helping the system continue to get propped up and and move forward.
0: And were you surprised with the speed at which you were able to um, get this new guilty plea acceptance system in place?
2: Absolutely. It came together very quickly, but you bring up a great point, Lyle, and that is, if you don't have the relationships in place already it's very difficult to implement new technologies. And for years, and thankfully in our jurisdiction, all of our justice partners, the public defenders, the DAs, the sheriffs, the court, the clerk of court, we have been working together collaboratively on all these various technology programs in civil and criminal for years and years and years. And so because of those partnerships and because we understood our workflows, we were able to find an appropriate tech stack that fit our workflow and our needs And because of that groundwork that was laid over the years, the speed at which these programs was able to be propped up, surprising but uh, understandable now looking back at it.
0: That's terrific to hear. Well, Judge, we'll be back after a short break. As the largest legal-only call center in the US, Alert Communications helps law firms and legal marketing agencies with new client intake. Alert captures and responds to all leads 24-7, 365 as an extension of your firm in both English and Spanish. Alert uses proven intake methods, customizing responses as needed, which earns the trust of clients and improves client retention. To find out how Alert can help your law office, call 866-827-5568 or visit alertcommunications.com LTN. Welcome back to my conversation with Judge Scott Schlegel. Judge, I wanted to delve into another partnership. Can you talk about how you worked with LawDroid to create a tech space chatbot for checking in on probationers?
2: Sure. As you stated earlier, I am also a specialty court judge and the chair of specialty courts here in Jefferson Parish. And one of those big tech dreams that I've always had is to build a chatbot of some sort to help fill the gap between the time uh, that we and our probation officers and our case managers are able to interact with individuals on, your tr- you know, I'll just use the traditional drug court model. And when COVID hit, those frequent touches obviously became non-existent from the most part immediately and obviously we had to grow but there was no more physical courtroom so they couldn't come to court once a week as they typically would have. The probation officers were not able to have their their traditional office visits. The case managers and the substance abuse providers weren't able to have the in-person meetings anymore and part of getting folks healthy so that there are no more victims are these frequent contact points to help people get healthy. And so we immediately began with the video court so that we were, we were still able to hold video court. Maybe a month or two went by before we were able to handle video court again, but we were able to start utilizing video court for the status conferences or status hearings that we typically have. The case managers were able, and the probation officers were able to get up and running on video case management. So they were able to have their one-on-ones with the individual's. But that still left a gap in the potential, what I call triage. So how do you handle if you're a a probation officer or case manager with very high caseloads, and you're no longer able to see them in court or see them in your office and see them at various different parts of the day or the week? Well, the ability to have a chat chat bot fill that gap was one of those dreams that I've always had, but never got around to, to developing. So I sent out a One of those emails or direct messages, and uh, Gabe Tenenbaum said, hey, let me see what I can do to help. And he sent a message to all of his folks, and Tom Martin from LawDroid jumped at the chance to help. And so he built a chatbot for us, and I think we launched this thing within three weeks. And Tom and uh, I discussed about a very simple chatbot, and all it does is says, hey, are you okay, Lloyd? If Lloyd's answer is yes, I'm good... The chatbot simply responds, great, keep up the great work. If you need any help, call your probation officer and click here. If the answer is no, then the chatbot sends a message to our case managers and our probation officers immediately so that we can reach out in time of need in real time before there's a potential new victim. And so this chatbot has enabled us to do that. And he did that all for free, didn't charge us a dime, and simply charges us seven cents a text, which is absolutely nothing when you're dealing with uh, the budgets that we have and deal with.
0: Oh, yeah. It sounds like, again, something that came together quite quickly. Now, how well used has that system then by the probationers?
2: We have it on a rotation of about 20 or 30 days, and a text goes out every 20 or 30 days, depending upon the parameters that we set. And they send back, I'm okay, or they're not okay. If there's no response, then our case managers still reach out to say, hey, what's going on? And one of the unintended consequences is that we now are able to verify phone numbers as well. In the criminal justice system, phone numbers change on a pretty consistent basis. And so this enabled us to verify phone numbers, which is very helpful when we're trying to communicate with individuals, whether we're sending them the random drug screen notifications or the court reminders, this text or chat bot has helped us verify phone numbers as well, which, again, is a great unintended consequence.
0: Very interesting. Now, I understand as well that you've you know helped create a system so you can quickly hear motions to reduce bond. Could you share about that system you've set
2: up? Absolutely. And didn't, didn't create or set up a system. I stole everything that exists in the private sector that you folks use, like Slack or Microsoft Teams, or they've got plenty of other collaboration software tools. But We have been for years, again, how do you coordinate with multiple agencies in real time when you're dealing with all these issues, even pre-pandemic? And so we simply have already, uh, we're already using that model. And I simply scaled it to my regular criminal docket that I was already using it in, in all my specialty courts. So I am introduced my public defenders that are assigned to my division and my DA who's assigned to my division and the criminal minute clerk and simply took the model that we were already using in the specialty courts and implemented it for all of our civil matters and all of our criminal matters, so that if and when a motion to reduce bond was filed, because a number of those were being filed as the COVID was potentially going to go into the prisons, the motions to reduce bond were being filed on a regular basis. So when one was filed, our civil, or excuse me, the criminal minute clerk would simply notify everybody, hey. Lloyd filed a motion to reduce bond. Judge, when can we hear it? I'd send a message. Hey, Lloyd, how's this afternoon? Hey, Mr. DA, how's this afternoon? Everybody would say that works. And we would all jump on a quick Zoom with the court reporter and handle the motions to reduce bond within hours of when the motion was filed. Or we'd set it the next day, but we would handle it in a very expeditious manner because everybody was on the same collaboration platform.
0: Well it's clear from what you've described so far that your court, you know, continued to offer more than just essential services during COVID-19. Why did you feel it was important to keep offering as, you know, many of these services as you could?
2: An effective system of justice is extremely important to our society and our way of government. And so it's very important that the courts are always open and always available so that individuals can have their needs met, whether that's criminal or civil. And so by creating a system that enabled us to continue even during COVID, as long as we had internet that worked, we were able to, to handle matters and get people to where they needed to go, or at least have an answer. They may not get where they want to go, but at least we could provide the citizens and the litigants an answer to the questions that were pressing. were
0: and do you anticipate keeping many of these new tech systems in place even after COVID-19 subsides?
2: Absolutely. I always tell everybody, please don't stop at Zoom. That is the Now that is the the basic <laughs> the basic baseline from which uh, we should all begin is Zoom or Webex, Cisco Webex or Teams. You know, pick a platform. It's of no moment. Find a platform that fits your jurisdictional needs and run with it. So, talking concepts Websites, online calendars, text and email reminders, video conferencing, e-signatures. I could go on and on and on with a list of simple, inexpensive technologies that we can implement in the justice system to make it more efficient, more effective, and more accessible, even during a time of need. And so where I live, hurricanes are real. And we just had a, a, a terrible hurricane come through and significantly impact a portion of our state. And so we have uh, hurricanes that we have to deal with on a consistent basis. And we just passed the 15-year anniversary of Katrina that affected us all. And so the ability to continue with some level of services, even if we are hit with another pandemic or hit with another hurricane or natural disaster, enables our citizenry to continue to bring their needs to the court steps if necessary.
0: And Judge, I know you mentioned earlier, you know, you have different tech dreams. Are there any projects, you know, we should look out for in the coming months?
2: <laughs> well, we've uh, I've built OnlineJudge.us for my division specifically, OnlineJudge.us, and that has a way for civil lawyers to and civil litigants uh, to practice in front of us on there. I have an attorney sign-in sheet. So this morning, I had a number of pretrials and motions that needed to be heard, and had lawyers sign in prior to joining the video conference so that we know who's, a, who's present and for which cases so that we can actually quote unquote call the cases at the right time when everybody gets there. There is an ability to schedule your own hearings here with the online calendar. There's the ability to e-file all of your documents right here. I'm waiting for some brave lawyers to join me on a shared Slack channel for an asynchronous practice of law. There's a civil pilot button there with a sample order. I have yet to have anybody join me, but I'm looking for some brave lawyers who are interested in an asynchronous practice of law that we use, again, constantly in criminal and works extremely well. So uh, we'll see, I'll let you know.
0: Yeah, please do. Well, Judge, um, thanks so much for joining me today.
2: Thanks for having me, appreciate your time.
0: I also wanted to thank our listeners for tuning in. Please be sure to rate and review the Legal Rebels podcast on your favorite podcast listening service. I'm your host, Lyle Moran, signing off.
1: If you'd like more information about today's show, please visit legalrebels.com, legaltalknetwork.com, subscribe via iTunes and RSS, find both the ABA Journal and Legal Talk Network on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn.